All right. Well, good evening. Welcome, welcome. I am glad that you're here tonight. And uh, this is the, the last time we're going to be in Ephesians 5 for a little while, or in Ephesians for a little while. Next week, uh, Pastor Dave is going to jump us over to some Old Testament books, book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and some interesting stories there in the people of God. So that's going to go for the rest of the month of June and in through July, all the way up to our VBS week, which is the last week of July. So be a part of that. And uh, if you're live streaming, we'll, we will be live streaming as well, Lord willing. So uh, we'll just continue on. Obviously, being here and being a part of it is there's something special and different about that. So as much as you can, come out. And now we do have air conditioning here tonight. So this is like a very comfortable environment. So yeah, we're very much appreciative of that. Uh, a few things that are going on to be rem reminded of and invited to. New Families Luncheon. If you are uh, new in the last couple years, we haven't had this welcome luncheon for a little while. Uh, as we were plotting and planning for it in 2020, towards the beginning, everything went haywire. So we are here all this time later. The last Sunday of this month, June 27th, after the second service, we are planning to have a luncheon free family event and it's fellowshipy is not a lot of program to it it's just we want to get to know you we want you to get to know us so all that you have to do is sign up and tell us you're coming um, you can do that on the sign up sheet out here on the sign up table you can also do that online um, in in response so uh, we want you to let us know that you are coming so that we can be prepared and have a great great plan for that day plenty of seating and plenty of food and all that kind of stuff also, Sunday, we put out the volunteer sheets for VBS. VBS is back, it is in person, and it is very much all hands on deck. If you have helped before, we need you. If you haven't helped before, we need you because we are planning to have 100 kids uh, you know, during the evening and 30, 40 kids in the morning, preschoolers. So we are planning to have lots and lots of kids to share Jesus with. So any way you can help us, if you can help us leading up to it, if you can help us for a few days that week, if you can help us every day that week, if you've got things you've done in VBS before that you want to offer, let us know. So fill out that form. There's also an online form that um, you can fill out and let us know let, or talk to Ryan um, and let him know what the deal is. And uh, I'm sure that that will be something God puts together in the coming weeks. A reminder for our teens that they are doing Bible study during this time right just down the hall here. Uh, that is, you have not just tonight, but three more weeks of a study through the book of Jonah and an interesting study, so be a part of that. And men's breakfast on Saturday and uh, God's Girls, I believe, is this coming Monday. Can't keep track of like... It's a Monday after that. Okay, so coming up shortly. So stay in touch, be a part of those things. And as we get to summer, uh, we want you to have the, the relax and the... the catch up and the, the power down and all that stuff for summer. But that can sometimes be the devil's workshop for disconnection and, you know, kind of drifting. And we don't want that because we believe that that has a real spiritual impact on our lives. So stay connected through the summer. And when we get back to the fall, uh, we've got a lot of things. And I will tell you right now, for the summer, uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to talk in numbers. And then we've got Go Zone Takeover. And then I'm taking a good chunk of these summer Sundays to talk to just us as a church, just to Hopers. 
and you know those who are new and, and coming out, um, they can hear what we are about as a church. But we're going to have a little bit of family chats on Sunday morning. Uh, and I believe what I called the series is remembering who we are. Remembering who we are as a church. Uh, we are a, a church that feels like hope. That's what we are. And how is that? How does that happen? And what, so we want to talk about some of the decisions that we've made, some of the patterns we've had, some of the things that are essential, and remind all of us that even as we come out of a pandemic and all of the kind of disintegration that that brings, we already know what, what works. Uh, just humanly, you know, as a, as a uh, reverent and, and Godward way of looking at things. So we're going to come back to talking about some of those things over summer. So you can be in prayer about that and you can make sure that you're here every week possible because I think that's going to be great uh, to talk about and I think it's good. God's going to use it for us as a church as we go forward and uh, put ourselves back together. So, all right, Ephesians 5 is where we are tonight. The last couple of weeks, we've talked extensively about this idea of headship and submission and those kinds of things. And uh, the, basically, the summary of what we've talked about the last two weeks, which has been a lot, are that there are roles in marriage that God designed for a husband and a wife that are distinct and God-given. They are laid out in this passage and many other passages in the New Testament. Um, and so it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That introduces this concept of headship which uh, talks of submiss submission from a wife to her husband and a willingness to follow the lead of the head. Um, I say all that just in a very broad review. We've talked a through a lot of details. And I want to put this caveat before I move on, which is simply this. That has at times been so absolute as to sound like wives, you are required to submit yourself to abuse, to destruction, to, to evil, that is not the intent of that instruction at all. That This instruction is given to us as we build our lives together as believers and we go forward. I think it is really significant and important that we remember the, the context of marriage to which believers are called. This is not a magic pill or a panacea that fixes everything. Well, why is if you would just submit, everything's okay? No, many times that results in severe abuse and the church should stand up and say that is unacceptable and you need to, to find a place of safety and move away from that. Um, it doesn't mean that the marriage has to be broken. It doesn't mean that it has to be saved. But it does mean that we cannot use something like that to give license to or power to what is wicked and evil. And we've had, even over this past year, I've had many, many conversations with people in our church about domestic violence and, and things like that. So this is, I don't want to give the impression that this is just a super simple, shiny, clean, easy thing. This is nitty gritty. And, and one of the caveats I want to put to that is it's never a call to be abused, to be destroyed. This is the, the discussion we're having. I talked a lot of theory, headship of man, submission of the, the wife to, to the husband. This is not theoretical for a lot of people. And I will tell you that even as we talk tonight through uh, the, these instructions to a husband, this is very, very real for people in our church right now, many people in our church. Marriages are struggling because of undue stress, because of unexposed, previously unexposed problems that just maybe got glossed over, that bubble to the, to the top when you spend 24-7 together for month after month after month, um, stressors that, that, that fall on top of people, all of that kind of stuff really has taken its toll. And so there are people who, are, who have 
work through a divorce this year or are working towards a divorce. There are people who are wondering what they should do about uh, domestic violence things. So this is not just theoretical for our church. So if you think I'm just beating a dead horse by talking about this, first of all, this is a significantly long passage in Ephesians 5. But secondly, our church is working on this. So if this isn't your thing, that's fine. But be praying for many, many for whom this, these words are something that should be shedding light on what God calls us to as believers. A few years back, I would say, well, it's probably like seven or eight years now, we did a conference uh, called Love and Respect based on this passage, actually really taking verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect come from verse 33 there. And it's by a, a guy named uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich and his wife, and they, do, they did a video conference. And the whole, there's a book that, that I found to be very insightful, uh, very detailed, and very um, practical in these issues applying in the marriage. So if this is something, as we talk about it, that you or you, someone you know maybe needs some more time and energy, I would definitely recommend the book Love and Respect to you. I think it would be a great um, resource for there. So let me read what, what we're going to talk about tonight. Verse 25, we're going to go down to verse 30. It goes all the way down to verse 33, but we're going to get to verse 30 tonight. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. So husbands, love your wives. And as we talk about this tonight, what I want you to notice for both partners, first of all, it, the distinctness of the roles between husband and wife are very clear in this passage. If they weren't distinct, then Paul would just say, husbands and wives, submit yourselves to one another. Husbands and wives, love each other. But that's not what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. He gives distinct commands to husbands and wives. But think about what he's asking them to do and what it takes to do that. In what kind of a marriage would a wife choose to willingly submit to her husband? In what kind of a marriage would a husband willingly, eagerly choose to do what we're about to talk to this evening? That is what Paul is pointing out. There is a necessity in Christian marriage of both prioritizing your marriage, in other words, not leaving it to the very last or putting it way back there or just giving it whatever the scraps and crumbs are, prioritizing your marriage and tending to your trust and your love. Because what he asks both partners to do requires deep and vibrant trust for each other. If you're a wife and, and Paul says to you, wives, submit to your husbands, you're like, well, what does, that, what does it take for me to do that? It takes deep trust and connectedness, right? I'm not going to trust some, I'm not going to surrender or submit or, or follow someone's lead if I think that they are selfish, 
if I think that they are careless, if I think that they are reckless, like it's going to be hard for me to follow their lead unless I trust them. In marriage, one of the biggest things that we tend to, that we should guard, as a matter of fact, I just had this discussion with two couples that are preparing to get married. One of the biggest factors in marriage is trust. And it is so fragile and people don't recognize that and they don't act like it is. They just kind of go along kind of expecting that you can, well, we've made vows to each other so we can kind of do whatever we want. And they don't, they don't keep their eye on the trust meter and how their actions are degrading trust or distance, disconnectedness breeds distrust. You have to tend to the trust in your marriage if you're going to be able to live this kind of marriage out. Husbands, what God asks husbands to do here requires that he trusts his wife and that you tend to it, that you guard that trust, that you don't, because trust is very fragile. Love is very durable, but love is very fragile. And when it gets wrecked, it is really hard to rebuild, mostly because the way that you rebuild trust is through communication and trust is right at the heart of communication because if you're talking to me and I don't trust you, then I don't know if I believe what you're saying. And that makes it really difficult to rebuild when trust is broken. So Paul's asking not just for simple commands and actions, wives submit, husbands love. He's asking for that to push us to a context in which this works, which is deep, abiding love and trust, which means that we have to prioritize our marriage. This is a different approach than the normal human tendencies. So when you think about marriage, when you think about like, what causes problems in marriage? What would you say is the biggest factor in what causes problems? Christian marriage, non-Christian marriage, whatever. What do you think are the biggest, if you could boil it down to like the most normal common thread throughout it, what do you think is the most normal reason that marriages suffer and flounder? Any ideas, Lauren? Miscommunication misunderstanding. Okay. Miscommunication, misunderstanding, huge in marriage because what I thought I heard you say is not what you, or what I thought I told you is not what you heard. Miscommunication, misunderstanding, absolutely, is a, is a deep, deep one that goes on in there. Lack of communication. Or lack of communication. Yeah, we don't talk back and forth, which probably results a lot of times from miscommunication. Like, you have enough of those blow-ups that eventually you're like, white flag, I don't, yeah. Back it up. Other ideas? Dave? Uh, forgetting that we're both broken. Both what? Broken. Broken. Yeah. Yes, forgetting that we're both... Perfection, you know, consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. I generally remember pretty well that one of us is broken, <laughs> and I give myself all kinds of grace. But that other one over there, they're supposed to be past that now because it's inconvenient for me that you're broken. Yeah, great point. Great point. Any other ideas? Because that's what Paul is asking here. What, What generally is the problem in marriage? And I think when I look at what Paul says here, when you boil it down to this, what Paul says is your approach to marriage should be fundamentally different than someone who doesn't know God. Because you're following someone who is fundamentally different than the normal human tendency. The normal human tendency is me. That's just all of our just natural bent is, how does this affect me? We all see ourselves as the center of the story. 
What's going on for me? How does this affect me? What does this make me look like? What do I want? What would make me feel good? That kind of stuff. Even in communication stuff, a lot of times the problem is the focus is on me. Do you understand me? Not do I understand you? Am I willing to do the work or, or take the time to, to factor everything in that I've learned and know and direct my attention to being more eager and more ready to listen to you so that I can understand you versus making sure you listen to me and understand me? I think the, the great symptom of that is as you're talking, I'm nodding so that you keep talking while I think about what I want to tell you because you clearly didn't hear what I said. So I need to make sure that you get what I said. I'm, the problem is I'm all about my agenda as opposed to what we're supposed to be as Christians in the other person focused and the other person elevated. The other person is the center of my concern. And we follow someone for whom that was the example that he set. So Paul says our marriages should feel different. They should feel different than people who don't know Jesus. Because that when you have a marriage that actually works, it's not forced, it's not like, oh, well, I'm supposed to submit. Oh, well, I'm supposed to love. And then, you know, I, I put those two together because they are put together here. So when wives are like, oh, I'm supposed to submit, do you, what do you think if a husband was like, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to love. I forgot I'm supposed to love. Oh, man, I got to love her today. Like, is that what he's asking for? For someone to say, well, the command was for me to love, so therefore I have to, I guess I have to. I got to get back to loving her. No, he's telling us what it should be, and that comes out of the context of a relationship. Our marriages should feel different than culturally driven marriages. Back in the day, the, the husband was the head of his home. The husband, like back in the day that Paul writes this, the husband was the, the, the it was a male-dominated patriarchal society. Men were the people who could testify and make money. And all, like men were the focus of society. Paul comes into that society and says, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives. So that doesn't necessarily look a lot different for, for people. Well, the, you know, the man is leading his home, that makes sense. But the whole foundation of it is different because instead of what normal human fleshly tendency would be, which is, well, I'm in charge, so everything's going to go my way, Paul says, no, husbands, love your wives protect her, take care of her, respond to her, keep your eyes out for her. Your heart should be for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So it's speaking to a culture that was male-dominated. Now today, I would say it speaks to us as well because today I would say marriage is not as male-dominated as it was in the first century, but it has its own humanistic tendencies, which are marriages are based on what we feel. You know, if I still feel like I love you, if it's still, some people, I, I deserve to, I've heard this a number of times, I deserve to be happy. And I'm no longer happy, and you're no longer happy, and we both deserve to be happy. This is the logic that comes out of humanity. We deserve to be happy, so therefore let's go find somebody who makes us happy as though there's someone who can reliably always make you happy. The fickleness of feelings, it comes and it goes. The idea that marriage is compromised, and, I, and I don't, I'm not saying that's an evil, wicked thing, but understand that when you start to talk about marriage as a compromise, your flesh hijacks that conversation and says, this is what compromise means to my flesh. I get my turn. 
I mean, you can have your turn, but I get my turn too. There's like a scorekeeping that starts to go on when we talk compromise in marriage just by natural human fleshly tendency. So Paul speaks to marriages across the board, marriages like they were then, marriages like we have today, and marriages for all time in the future. What he asks is for a wife to submit to her husband and a husband to love his wife. And for a wife to submit to her husband, she must be convinced that the Lord is in charge and that the Lord is trustworthy. If your submission to your husband is based on his worthiness of your submission, then that never happens. But if it's based on me and my husband believe that God designed our marriage to work a certain way and we're going to try to figure out how to do that, God knows what he's talking about and we can trust him. And as we are Godward in what we do, then we're going to be okay. Then you can, for a husband to love his wife and to not use his, his position, his, his priorities, powers, whatever, for himself all the time, he must be convinced that the Lord is in charge and that the Lord is right, the Lord is trustworthy. So that I'm not losing things to be my wife-centered. I'm not losing you know, opportunity, things that I will wish I had. I'm actually advancing my life and advancing things that are good by loving my wife like I'm called to. So verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. That's a hard word. Husband, that's a hard word. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whew. I don't know. That, I think that might be the biggest key there is. And when I talk about the husband as a leader, here's what I'm saying in part. In part, I'm saying this. If the husband would do that first, then I think most wives would be like, I have the most amazing husband ever. And so what do you think we should do, honey? The problem is that's, not how most husbands take the lead. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What he's saying is that our love for our spouses is in response to the way we have been loved by Christ. So you can kind of think that through. How am I loved by Christ? I'm loved unconditionally, right? If it was conditional, we would all have been sunk, but I'm loved unconditionally. What else comes to mind? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. It's not just this easy, okay, I love you. It was a love that was dramatically costly in order for him to provide what we needed because he loved us, right? What else? Enduring, reliable, faithful, just as Christ loved the church, husbands love your wives, it's forever. It never goes away. It's a foundation you can build on, not, well, I fell in love with you and now I have fallen out of love with you. I guess there's a lot of like holes around and you keep falling all the time. Love is you know, very holy, I guess, where you know, it's fickle. And so if you, there's a lot of reticence in young adults today to get married because they are convinced that love is only fickle instead of enduring. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Enduring, it makes it through. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts? 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So it's in response to what we have learned and understood, and Paul kind of goes into that. It is a reflection of Christ's love through us to others. It's something we're called for in the body of Christ that we are to reflect Christ's love in response to the love we've received. And so why not in this most intimate relationship, in this first relationship that was ever created, husband and wife is the first human relationship that existed. Why not there too? Would we, would we reflect the love that we have been uh, given. So husbands, lead correctly. You've got to hear this, man. You are called to lead in your home, and you lead correctly when you lead from unconditional and unshakable love. If you are married, you are called to unconditional and unshakable love. There, is, there are no qualifiers given. Love your wife if there's no, there's no qualifications. Similarly to when it says, wives respect your husband, there are no qualifiers given. Wives respect your husband's if. It's a flat statement. This is what you do, right? So it's not based on qualification about the wife being deserving or the wife earning your love. And it is given as a present imperative in Greek, meaning it is a continuous command. In essence, this is to be the norm. It's not calling for perfection but it's calling for pattern. It's calling for direction. This is to be the norm of how you love, how you respond to your wife. Husbands, love your wife. So that posture is selflessness. Like Jesus was selfless. As a matter of fact, no Christian husband can properly respond to his wife, can properly lead his wife the way Paul is talking about, when you are fixated on what you want. You have to get past that if you want to lead your wife the way Paul calls you to lead your wife. You have to be sensitive, which means you have to be aware, which means you have to be intentional about what your home needs and in specific about what your wife needs. Not what she tells you she needs necessarily, but what you're, because you're watching over her. You are looking for and asking God for wisdom. What does she need? How can I serve her? If husbands, if Christian husbands would do that, I cannot tell you in my approximation how much of the problems in the church would be solved. Passing on our faith would be a breeze. If husbands did that, Because homes would be healthy and homes are the greatest home court advantage for faith passing that ever existed. I'm not saying it's smooth sailing, but I am telling you, if you are a Christian home, you have the greatest advantage there will ever be to passing on faith. And if so, if we had homes that were regularly healthy in this way, where husbands took the lead and loved their wives in a serving way, not a self-gratifying, not a self-centered way, if they took the lead in that, homes would be healthy and our faith would be passed on. Children would grow up uh, desiring and, and being eager for marriage, having seen it modeled in a way that is fulfilling in the way that God desired for it to be, as opposed to seeing it as some dangerous, scary thing that's eventually going to bite you somewhere down the road, so you might as well avoid it and just take it off the radar to begin with, which is what masses of young people are doing today. So Paul talks about the love of Jesus in two ways. First, he talks about... to gave himself up for her, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, 
but holy and blameless. That whole description is about this amazing gift of salvation. It's very just decorative in its language, the way that he talks about what we received, that Jesus died and rose again so we could be cleaned, so we could be pure, so that the whole mess is taken care of, not because we deserved it, but because Christ loved us in this way that he gave so that we could have what we desperately needed, this sacrificial love for us. And he didn't just give some. He didn't just give a little. He didn't just give casually. He gave himself. That is the kind of sacrifice that we are called to in marriage. And, and if we try to, to unisex marriage, it takes away this challenge to men to be this to be the reflection of Christ in your home. We have to, men, we have to be this. Think about this. Christ gave so that the church, his people, could have the healing and wholeness that the church, his people, desperately needed. He gave into the places of her weaknesses so that she, the church, did not have to live in the fallout of her weakness. Isn't that beautiful? So maybe, I mean, I know a lot of husbands who think that what they lead their home in is they are the, the master criticizer of where their wife failed. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't like that? As a matter of fact, 1 John 2 tells us that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who's that? Jesus, he argues for us when we sin, not against us. There is an accuser of the brothers. That's not Jesus. Who's that? Satan. Accuses the brother in Revelation day and night before the throne. So husbands, Jesus gives us an example of how to love our wives. He gives into the place of the weakness of lost people so that lost people who turn to him by faith, who are connected to him the way that your wife is connected to you, don't have to live in the fallout of their weaknesses. His sacrifice meets the deepest need because he loves. His love gives for a purpose. So if I want to lead my wife the way Paul is asking me to lead my wife, that's how I am effective at leading my wife. That's a whole different thing than what the world gives and sees and what the world would read as they read this passage. But it's very clear. If you have the Christ in you, that's very clear what he's saying. Perhaps we could also say that when we love our wives as Christ loves the church, we bring a healing and a wholeness to her. Whew. Isn't that amazing? That husbands get this, this position, this opportunity to be a part of God's redemptive work in the, in the life of and the soul of their wives, that they could bring healing and wholeness as I love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's incredible. What an incredible opportunity. So a husband gives. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So a husband gives in love out of response to what the Lord shows him about his wife's need. So husbands, one of the things that we are called to is saying, Lord, show me what she needs. I'm not saying you 
It's never in communication. It's almost always in communication with her. But, but I'm also praying that God would be in charge of this and show me what my wife needs so that I can selflessly, sacrificially, and reliably give to her. And the Lord uses me in my, in my finiteness, in my smallness, in my five loaves and two fishes to meet her needs. Husbands, you are called to lead. I make, that, I make no bones about saying a husband is called to lead his home, but I make no bones about saying he is called to lead her like this, in loving sacrifice. That's how he's called to lead. The other way, the other part that he puts on this of loving your wives is verse 28. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what he says here is, your love for your wife should be natural and reflexive. In other words, what he's pointing to is, you're walking around. I do this sometimes in this auditorium when the lights are off and we're here during the week and I don't feel like going over there to turn lights on. So I'm going to walk through the auditorium, right? What's my fear as I walk through this dark auditorium? That I am going to somehow take my foot into one of the corners of these chairs and damage my foot. Now, when I, if I did that, and I'm not admitting that I've ever done that, but if I did that, what picture is in your mind about what happens right after that? I'm, it's not like, oh, well, that's your fault, foot. Uh, too bad for you. No, I'm jumping around and grabbing my foot, and right? There's a reflex to injury and pain because it's my body. So when my foot gets injured, everything about me, my mind, whatever I was going to do, wherever I was going to do it is out of my mind. All I can think about is I probably just lost my foot here, right? I probably need to go to the ER and have surgery and like, they probably need to amputate. Like that, everything is about the injury, right? What Paul is saying here is wives, you should love, or husbands, you should love your wives like that. It should be natural it should be a reflex. And the only way it gets to be is if it's a pattern that you choose every day. You, we are not naturally loving people. There might be naturally nice people and gentle people, but we are not naturally loving people in the way that Jesus loves, selflessly, reflexively, naturally. So it's something that we choose and we pattern in. This is a practical explanation and recommendation of how to live out the love that Paul just talked about. Love your wife like you love yourself because he who loves his wife loves himself. Remember when God, and Paul's about to quote this, when God created marriage for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too will be one flesh. So Paul says, when you love your wife, you're loving your own body because he, he took two and he made them one. So he's taking God's words, God's created words of marriage and he's applying it here that you cannot be like, well, if my wife wasn't so, then she wouldn't have to. It's her problem. That is not what we are called to. We are called to love our wives naturally and reflexively. I'm not, when it talks about, you know, whenever hated their own body, he's not talking about people with mental illness or disorders. He's just noting that there is an overwhelming norm in humanity that we are self-concerned. It's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's, he's not talking about people who, whose minds are messed up. He's talking about the norm in humanity is, I, it's easy for me to love myself. 
So love your neighbor as naturally, as normally as you love yourself. For we are members of his body. It's a dramatic connection that Christ and the church have. Like Christ, we are the body of Christ and he is the head. So Christ loves us and cares for us because we are his own body. Now he says just like that, husband, you are the head. Wife, you are the body. Husbands, love your wife like you love your own body. And that's kind of what he does next. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He says, so every, every one of us feed and care for our body. And that's where I start to talk about what Paul is saying there. We should be aware of pain, struggle, hurt, weight. We should be tuned into that through connectedness. I don't think it's any accident that we here in America, with all the resources we have, with all the, the biblical knowledge we have, have become so busy that we don't have any time to be tuned in. We don't have any energy to be tuned in. We don't have any space to be tuned in because we have all these advantages, so the only thing left is distraction, busyness. And so when busyness takes over, then I can't love my wife reflexively because I, I don't know what's going on over there. I haven't given myself any space to do that. He says, you feed and care for your body. Why do you feed your body? Stay alive. When do you feed your body? Oh, so your body tells you that you need food, right? You see the pattern he's pointing to? In other words, I'm tuned into that. Oh, yeah, I'm hungry. Wow, my stomach's brown. Oh, I'm feeling lightheaded. What's going on? I must need to eat. So it's just natural. We pick up on it. It should be natural like that in marriage for a husband to recognize the needs of his wife. Not that we are magicians or intuitive, but there's a suggestion here that the Spirit of God empowers us as the leaders of our home if we are willing and if we are Godward to know and to, to see so that we can respond to it. I give my body what it needs as hunger or pain tells me something is wrong. That I notice it. And that's probably step one, men. I notice it. Now, I'm not talking about like you notice that your wife changed the order of the pillows on the, the pile of pillows on the bed. or something. I'm not saying notice. I'm saying you notice them. The substance of their person and the, the, the bearing of their life. And so I notice what happens in my body. I respond to it. And I keep responding to the pain or hunger in my body until it's resolved, right? I don't just like, well, I fed you this morning, body. Be quiet. I'm not doing my body like a favor. Fine. Okay, so I broke my toe. Are you done complaining about it now? Because I, like I am naturally responding and I will continue to respond to it until it is resolved. He says that is how, practically speaking, husbands should love their wives. I should look at it as just taking care of my own body. Husbands can only lead correctly when they naturally and reflexively love their wives like they love their own body. So this picture that Paul gives us as marriage, it is a powerful picture because now what a husband could say is, yeah, but what if my wife is just selfish all the time? What if she's just greedy? What if she's never satisfied? Like what if, what if her agenda is to take my love and use it so that she can just go off the rails over here? You see, there's a nature of love of trust that's undergirding both responses. 
So in marriage, the, the foundation of this is, God, we're going to build a, a home that, that works like how you said it works, but it requires us to be intentional about being deeply connected to one another, about creating the time and space that we need for each other. Last fall, we did a, a marriage course here for seven Friday nights. It was Friday night, wasn't it? Seven Friday nights. And we had like 16 couples that came through the whole thing. It was awesome. It was amazing. And what you find in, I think we spent, I think there was like two and a half hours each time. We had dinner for everybody, and then we had teaching, and dis- they had discussion things in it. It was a really cool course or whatever, is all it takes is being intentional. And suddenly, all of these couples, guarantee you, felt a lot closer at the end of each night than they did coming through the, the trauma and the busyness and the whatever of the week. What did it take? It just took intentionality. And I think we wave that off so quickly. Well, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I have to do. I don't, I don't have time. I'm, I'm too stressed. I'm too tired. I'm too... We, we wave it off like my marriage is based on love and love is durable, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but is it functioning like this? Where there's a deep enough trust, wife, for you to trust your husband so that you can submit to him? Husband, is it a deep enough trust that you can love your wife recklessly and you're not worried about you know, being taken advantage of or whatever? Because you're in, in partnership. You're in, 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 in sync with one another. You're both before the Lord, putting this before the Lord and saying, God, direct our home and bring us together. That is what is called for. And, and when we settle for less than that, when we whitewash that, when we brush this aside, and then we shrug our shoulders of, I don't know what else I could do. Paul's challenge here is not just husbands try to love your wife, wives try to submit to your husbands. Just do that and everything will be fixed. It's calling us to a relationship that, that would make that work. And that comes from this really, really solid foundation of partnership and trust between each other. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you. In this same way, husbands also love their wives as they love their own bodies. That is the calling that God places on husbands. And I pray that's the way that we as husbands will respond and and pursue what God has given us here in our own lives and in our own marriages. I think that would be transformational for the people of God. So... All right, we will pick up there when we come back to Ephesians next time we do Bible study, whenever that is. Uh, We've got a lot of other things we're going to do in the meantime, so a lot of short-term topics, a lot of uh, workshops coming up in the fall, and things. so there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for us to learn and talk together, and we'll just stop right there in Ephesians 5. When we come back, we'll pick up at verse 31 and get through the rest of chapter 6. Chapter 6 is an awesome chapter as well, so we will find ourselves in there uh, in the near future. All right, so thanks for joining us tonight online. We look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Lord willing, we will see you all on Sunday.